Welcome to Thriving After Lockdown, brought to you by Fortify in partnership with SAFA, the Armed Forces Charity. We're here to support the Forces family, both children and adults, with their mental and emotional well-being. Welcome to the SAFA Thriving After Lockdown project. I'm Tom Fox and I'm joined today by Joe Morton-Brown. I'm a veteran, a SAFA ambassador and a former beneficiary of the charity. I'm now the director of Fortify Limited, which provides mental health training to businesses. Joe is a BACP accredited child counsellor and she also works with and supports families. Hi, Joe. Hi, Tom. Now, Joe, we're going to have a chat today about how stress and anxiety might be impacting your children uh, and young people. How to talk, um, perhaps about bereavement and also the impacts of social media on self-esteem. All issues that can impact our 12 to 18 year olds, as we well know. Uh, but first, let's hear from some of them about the issues that are actually worrying them in their own words. My biggest probably worry about growing up is um, not actually when I grow up to like 18, not actually having a house. And like nowhere to live and just living on the streets. But really daunted because I've always relied on mum and dad to do, to help me. So, um yeah, no, it's daunting at the moment, especially going to uni. And if we have another lockdown or it's the same situation, um, it's going to be hard to like adjust to a new life in a way. Well, because we picked our GCSE subjects this year, we didn't get the full like learning experience of all of them. For example, Spanish. I only did one year of Spanish and two years of French. And it took me two years to fully enjoy French. And I didn't get that for Spanish. So I don't know whether the choice I made for my GCSE was the right one, and I'm just hoping it was because I'm not 100% sure because I didn't get the same experience for both. Um, and I guess um, there's just the, just the COVID in general, I suppose, is the worry because I take public transport to school, and since um, the mask rule has come off um, for other schools, mine my school has kept it on, but other schools' um, cases have been rising, and it's quite stressful because, um, like, on public transport, people don't wear masks, and you get a bit nervous because it's surrounding you, basically. So, Joe, some quite different stresses there, uh, depending on the age of the teenager. Now, you work with young people in secondary schools and colleges. Um, do you think mental health has always affected youngsters in the way it does right now, or are we seeing something different? It's such a hard question, that, because is it because that there's social media, so there's this sense of, of more awareness about mental health? Is it because of that? Is it because... Um, of what help and support is available, that actually it's allowing children and young people to be open about their feelings. So I'm not too sure if it's just change and it's moving in the right direction where people can be more open about how they are feeling or whether it's maybe a pressure of, of, of how we need to, to kind of come across that we are okay all the time and that sometimes it's not as easy as that. And, you know, we talk about children using devices or, or, you know, our teenagers using devices. And there were even a couple of studies recently, weren't there? But, you know, what are your thoughts about using social media? I think that social media has pros and cons. I do believe that the benefits of social media can help young people feel less alone. They may have a sense of, um, of support online. But also you have got this compare and despair where... Young people are 
online, they're on their social media. And what they're doing is they are, and we do this as adults in fairness, Tom, is there is this compare and despair where we are comparing the best of somebody compared to the worst of ourselves. And that compare and despair can just be really frightening, um, as well as sometimes this fear of failure, which can also be quite hard to, to kind of handle and, and deal with. So, talking about social media, you know, it, it's two polarised opposites, isn't it? As you say, one in the spectrum, you've got, when we've been through lockdown, for instance, it's really helped um, young adults, children to stay connected with their friends, perhaps where they've not been at school or, or, or stay connected with family members, etc. And on the other end, you know, where they're seeing negative stuff, where they're constantly trying to compare themselves to, you know, the best of something, you know, unrealistic, unachievable uh, things in some instances. Now, you mentioned fear of failure. Uh, and what do you mean by that? What is, what is fear of failure? So fear of failure is just where young people just try and do anything to avoid failure. So whether that is a sense of them not being good enough, if it's a sense of maybe getting a grade that doesn't represent how hard they tried or they haven't made the football team, you know, there's this sense that if they don't achieve it, then they've failed. And actually, it's about trying to build on that resilience and, and getting them to realise that actually the important thing that we can do is that we can learn from this. So one activity that you may choose to do with, with your child, with your children, is that if they do go through um, a moment where, you know, they're, they're struggling because they have, in their eyes, failed at something you know, sit down with them and, and kind of get them to just see if you can reframe it together. Okay, it didn't go great, but okay, what have we learned from it? Okay, what could we do differently next time? You know, just in allowing them to, to have the opportunity to just reframe it because it's really hard to try and stay positive or to see things on a positive side when you just see this failure. So as parents and carers, it could be really helpful to just kind of be with them and to just help them reframe it. Yeah, and I think, you know, as as um, forces families as well, you know, members of the armed forces, you know, we understand um, that failure to, to achieve a certain thing isn't necessarily the end. You know, we can pick ourselves up, dust ourselves down uh, and, and have another go um, and maybe we have a different outcome. So you're absolutely right. The resilience that we learn in the armed forces, I think, is something we can we can help our children to understand as well. Now... Unfortunately, there may be um, some of the things that have happened and, you know, some of those feelings may be causing uh, quite a lot of distress um, in some of our children. And so for some parents, they may, you know, they may be struggling to support their child due to poor mental health. Um, what could you advise in this instance? I think that if you have this sense that your child isn't coping, the best thing that I feel that you could do as a parent, Carol, would be actually to just sit with them and to actually grab a piece of paper and to either get them or, or yourself to write down um, what is on their mind. So it's a brain dump, allowing yourself the opportunity to just see what's going on for them. What are their fears? What are, are they dreading? What's on their mind? What are their worries? Because then it's actually getting them onto paper, which allows you as a, as a parent, as a carer, to be able to be with them and to, to kind of see what's going on for them. And then if you can, once you've got that on paper, just see if you can do a bit of an action plan where you can at least help them with at least one, you know, written comment that's on there. 
and, and see if you can have an action plan of, of, of how you can help them with at least one, hopefully more, um, but just allowing them to kind of realise what's going on. Now, Joe, you and I both know how hard it can be to get adults to talk, let alone uh, children and young adults. So, you know, what are, um, you know, what are some good conversation starters that we could have that could potentially help us to, you know, get 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 them get them talking and, and interacting with us? I think you're so right, there, Tom. But the most important thing is that you just show that you're listening. From working, you know, I've been doing my job for over ten years now, and I realised that actually what these young people actually fear sometimes is their parents, carers, grandparents, just not taking them seriously or just laughing at their, their their worries because they're not an adult and they don't know what real stress is. So for me, it's actually kind of being with them and allowing them to feel a sense that, you know, they are understood. And the most important thing to do is to just listen to them. If you're to have answers, then that's a classic parent role, isn't it? You, you know, you've got all the answers, but just sometimes it's just about listening um, and, and just kind of exploring how they're feeling gently. So even if they don't want to do it in one go, it's just about kind of letting them have those opportunities when they're ready. Now, something, you know, I think a lot of people potentially could have been struggling with over the last year or whatever else is, is bereavement, and unexpected bereavement. And, and I think really when we talk about service families and, and service children, this is something that potentially is always there for them anyway. Um, and so I think it's particularly per, per, pertinent. Um, how can we support a child that has experienced the bereavement within the family? So if it's a child that's experienced a bereavement, then that certainly means that that will have affected the family as well. So my biggest thing is that if that is a family that is grieving, as adults, it is okay to allow our children to see us broken. We have this, you know, we've got to be strong, we've got to stay tough, you know, we can't let them see us cry or upset when actually that's just not real. That's just not even possible all the time. So I do think it's about this sense of, of being together, but allowing a child to see you, you know, broken, breaking, crying, will allow them to realise that, you know, you can't be strong all the time and that's okay. So for me, the, the whole process with, with grieving is being together, but it's about allowing them to see your more vulnerable side and allowing them to see you upset and sad and, and, and hurt because it will allow them to realise that, okay, well, you know, they will be okay tomorrow or, you know, they're having a bad day today. So it's just allowing them to see that, like that resilience that when we get knocked down, we'll get back up again. Um, and it's about having that as a family, having that that closure with that loved one. And it's, you know, making sure that even if the child doesn't necessarily go to the funeral, that as a family, you celebrate that that loved one in a way of, of, of what I would call a family funeral, a child-friendly funeral, where it is kind of age appropriate, you know, maybe planting a tree or, you know, going to a special place. And it's just about that togetherness again. Yeah. And, you know, there, there is a lot to be said about showing a little bit of vulnerability, isn't there? And, and how that can actually help children and people around us, you know, um, handle their own emotions a lot better. Um, and, you know, we have to do a lot, don't we, to, to try and help um, young adults that are struggling at this point in their life to, to build self-esteem. Um, and why is it so important, especially at this age group? Yeah, this age group is so, so important. It's almost that, that self-esteem is, is that, that belief system that they have within themselves. 
We all have an inner critic, they too do. Um, and that inner critic is, you know, you can't do this, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not clever enough. And, and unfortunately, young people are listening to their inner critic way too much. So really, it's about allowing them to realise that they have got an inner coach. They've got this inner cheerleader that they need to, to listen to. It's not easy and it takes time and practice. Um, so one of my favourite activities that you could you could do as a family, or at least um, you and the child, is to create maybe a love heart. And you could do one each even, have your name in the middle. And then it's about kind of putting positive good things about that person on that on that love heart or star just making it a keepsake and it's it's having this this piece of paper or piece of card that when they look at it it's it's to remind them to tell them to make them remember that they've got all these good things about who they are as a person and then ideally having that somewhere where they can see it so the fridge or their bedside um cabinet just somewhere where they can realize that they are worth it that they are enough that they are loved that they are kind and caring um and it's just that real sense of trying to build their self-esteem build their confidence and their self-worth yeah it's so important we've all been there as teenagers haven't we and it's very confusing uh, and so yeah you know building self-esteem understanding that you are a valuable person and you've got fantastic qualities and you know that, that is so important now as we bring this session to a close, Joe, as a professional, what would be your one parenting tip um, for young adults at this age group? So it has to be about communication. It has to be about how as, as parents and carers, we need to have that sense of, of ability to understand. We're not always necessarily going to know exactly how they're feeling. You know, phones aren't as important as to us as they are to them, certainly at their age. Um, so it's about that kind of that realization that it's it's kind of just being there, and it's about listening. It's about being present, and it's about showing that you care. And even though they may not necessarily be in the mood to talk there and then, it's known that they can do. Or maybe come up with a code between you um, and your child where. I don't know if there's a post-it note on their bed, it's because they actually want to talk to you or, you know, if they send you a text message and it's got an ice cream that actually they want to talk to you. So it's not always about having those awkward conversations. It's just about having the space for those conversations. And that's the most important thing. I think, you know, it is and, and being empathetic, isn't it? You don't, you don't necessarily have to have the answers. Um, you don't have to be able to fix everything. But just as you said, just being able to be there for them and listen to them and just understand that there is, um, that they are feeling in a certain way and that that's OK. We can accept it and we'll be there to support them. Joe, thank you very much for that. It's really interesting. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to Thriving After Lockdown, helping you with your mental and emotional well-being. For more information on SAFA and other organisations that can help you and your family, visit safa.org.uk forward slash chatter.